Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dr. J's Shakespeare. I'm Dr. J. In today's episode, we'll be looking at a scene from King Lear. King Lear is the most profound of Shakespeare's tragedies, delving deepest into the abysses of existence, so much so that we hardly notice that it is a fairy tale, such as we find in the Brothers Grimm, though doubled, there are two fathers, both foolish. There are three daughters, two bad and one good. There are two sons, one bad and one good. There are two suitors, one bad and one good. There are two sons-in-law, one bad and one good. And there are two servants, again, one bad and one good. In our lives, we play many of these roles, parent, child, spouse, king, suitor. The only role all of us play, and play for all our adult lives, is servant. Servant of either the good or the bad. And in that service, we can be a good servant or a bad servant. The servant that interests me the most is the good servant, as that's the servant I'd like to be. In King Lear, the good servant is named Kent, and he serves the king. We meet him in the play's first scene. In fact, he is the first character to speak. He is on his way to a gathering called by the king, chatting with an acquaintance nonchalantly about what is about to take place, with no inkling of the disaster about to fall. The king, King Lear, has grown old and has decided to pass on responsibility for his kingdom to his three daughters and live out the remainder of his life in carefree comfort. He's called this gathering to make the division of the kingdom a public act. But he has another, self-indulgent purpose in mind. The exact division has not yet been declared, and before the three daughters are given their shares, each must declare publicly how much they love him, with the exact division dependent upon their answers. This is just an exercise in ego, as Lear knows full well how he intends to divide his kingdom. If one allotment will be larger than another, it will go to his youngest daughter, as she is his favorite. And so each daughter is commanded to speak in turn, the oldest daughter first, then the middle daughter, and finally the youngest, Cordelia. The two older sisters concerned only with how much they can get, flatter their father beyond all measure and receive their thirds, which they will share with their husbands. Cordelia has not yet a husband, but two suitors are waiting in the wings, if you will, and the successful will share in Cordelia's allotment. But, to put it mildly, Cordelia's words don't please her father, and in his anger he disowns her and divides her third between the two dissembling older sisters. This is when Kent steps forward. Let's take it up with Cordelia's turn. Lear, turning to Cordelia. Now, our joy, although our last and least, what can you say to draw a third more opulent than your sisters? Speak. Cordelia. Nothing, my lord. Lear. Nothing? Cordelia. Nothing.
Lear. Nothing will come of nothing. Speak again. Cordelia. Unhappy that I am, I cannot heave my heart into my mouth. I love your majesty according to my bond, no more nor less. Lear. How, how, Cordelia, mend your speech a little, lest you may mar your fortunes. Cordelia. Good my lord, you have begot me, bred me, loved me. I return those duties back as our right fit, obey you, love you, and most honor you. Why have my sisters husbands if they say they love you all? Happily, when I shall wed, that lord whose hand must take my plight shall carry half my love with him, half my care and duty. Sure, I shall never marry like my sisters to love my father all. Lear. But goes your heart with this? Cordelia. Ay, my good lord. Lear. So young and so untender? Cordelia. So young, my lord, and true. Lear. Let it be so. The truth, then, be thy dower. For by the sacred radiance of the sun, the mysteries of Hecate in the night, by all the operations of the orbs from whom we do exist and cease to be, here I disclaim all my paternal care, propinquity, and property of blood, and as a stranger to my heart and me, hold thee from me forever. Kent. Good my liege. Lear. Peace, Kent. Come not between the dragon and his wrath. I loved her most and thought to set my rest on her kind nursery. To Cordelia, hence and avoid my sight. Kent, royal Lear, whom I have ever honored as my king, loved as my father, as my master followed, as my great patron thought on in my prayers. Lear, the bow is bent and drawn, make from the shaft. Kent, let it fall, rather, though the fork invade the region of my heart. Be Kent unmannerly when Lear is mad. What wouldst thou do, old man? Thinkest thou that duty shall have dread to speak when power to flattery bows? To plainness honors bound when majesty falls to folly. Reserve thy state, and in thy best consideration check this hideous rashness. Answer my life, my judgment. Thy youngest daughter does not love thee least, nor are those empty-hearted whose low sounds reverb no hollowness. Lear. Kent on thy life, no more. Kent. My life I never held but as a pawn to wage against thine enemies, nor fear to lose it, thy safety being motive. Lear. Out of my sight. Kent, see better, Lear. Lear, now by Apollo, Kent, now by Apollo, king, thou swearest thy gods in vain. Lear, O vassal, miscreant. Kent, kill thy physician and thy fee bestow upon the foul disease. Revoke thy gift, or whilst I can vent clamor from my throat, I'll tell thee thou dost evil. Lear, 
Hear me, recreant, on thine allegiance, hear me, that thou hast sought to make us break our vows, which we durst never yet, and with strained pride to come betwixt our sentence and our power, which nor our nature nor our place can bear. Our potency make good, take thy reward. Five days we do allot thee for provision to shield thee from disasters of the world, and on the sixth to turn thy hated back upon our kingdom. If on the tenth day following thy banished trunk be found in our dominions, the moment is thy death. Away, by Jupiter, this shall not be revoked. Kent, fare thee well, king. Sith thus thou wilt appear, freedom lives hence, and banishment is here. And so the deed is done. Lear, in his emotionally selfish egotism, rejects the true obligations of love, and not only Kent, but Cordelia is banished. She departs with the king of France, who accepts her without a dowry after the Duke of Burgundy refuses. Cordelia will be gone for much of the play, but not Kent. He returns in disguise to his master's side, to try to help him and protect him as his two dissembling, selfish daughters destroy his royal dignity, and with it, the entire ordered human world. In this scene, Kent says so many good things. Out of my sight, Lear commands, and Kent answers, See better, Lear. Sight and blindness are invoked throughout the play, the errant father of the parallel plot actually has his eyes plucked out as a result of his own foolish rejection of the obligations of parental love. Kent on thy life no more, Lear threatens, and Kent replies, My life I never held but as a pawn to wage against thy enemies, nor fear to lose it, thy safety being motive. Kent has never been afraid to lose his life in defense of Lear, so why should he fear to lose it now in Lear's defense, even though it is Lear himself who is now Lear's enemy? The bow is bent and drawn, Lear thunders. Make from the shaft. Let it fall, Kent answers, though the fork, the arrow, invade the region of my heart. Kent offers his very life because he understands what is happening and is determined that Lear will too. Answer my life, my judgment, thy youngest daughter does not love thee least, nor are those empty-hearted whose low sounds reverb no hollowness. I first read King Lear when I was a college student during the anti-war protests of the late 1960s and early 1970s. One line of this scene struck me then and has stayed with me ever since. Be Kent unmannerly, Kent declares, when Lear is mad. I've often thought of this declaration as I think about those times of unmannerly behavior, which I approved of even though I didn't much participate. Now, in the last two or three years, unmannerly behavior has returned to America. The issues are different, and the demographics have flipped, but what about the principle Kent declares? 
Be Kent unmannerly when Lear is mad. Do I endorse this only when I agree with the protest, in which case I don't really take it as a principle, but only say so to serve my own interests? Or do I think Kent is right, and however grudgingly, concede that the unmannerly today should be as unmannerly as their beliefs compel them? I haven't yet brought forward the bad servant. His name is Oswald, and he serves not Lear, but one of the two dissembling older daughters. But in serving her, he also serves himself. He doesn't judge what she does or what she commands, but follows her out of his own self-interest. He will never say to his mistress, Thou dost evil. He too, like Kent, confronts Lear, but only to serve his mistress and thus himself. Kent's defiance is selfless, so much so that he doesn't care that it may cost his life. Oswald, in confronting Lear, is not selfless, far from it. He is acting entirely in his own self-interest. Kent speaks of a duty that transcends his personal interests. Thinks thou that duty shall have dread to speak, he challenges Lear, when power to flattery bows. But what is duty that it would prompt Kent to act against his own self-interest? To the degree that it's not begrudged, but followed willingly, I think duty is another word for love. When Cordelia spoke of her duties toward her father and his towards her, we shouldn't think that she begrudges those duties, but honors them. She doesn't reply to her father out of self-interest, as her sisters do, but out of her sense of true duty. It is her father who, out of emotional selfishness, casts off his fatherly duty to her and brings into being a world not of love but selfishness that destroys all good and bad alike. So this is what, in light of Kent and Oswald, I've come to ask about unmannerly civil behavior. Is it done out of love or selfishness? And if out of love, love of what? King Lear doesn't teach me the answer. It teaches me the question. Until next time, I'm Dr. J.